Hello, I'm Jim Mason, President of the Parental Rights Foundation, with my co-host Michael Ramey, our Executive Director. Hello. We believe that the best way to protect children is by empowering parents because loving parents know their children best. In coming weeks in this podcast, we'll be talking to grassroots leaders, professors, elected officials, and parents just like you and me. So it's my distinct pleasure today to welcome my old friend, mentor, and former boss, Mike Ferris. Mike is the founder of Homeschool Legal Defense Association, Patrick Henry College, the Parental Rights Foundation, and many other worthy endeavors. In 2016, Mike moved to Alliance Defending Freedom as President, CEO, and General Counsel. ADF is the world's preeminent religious freedom public interest law firm, and they have been busy since Mike took over. Welcome, Mike. Jim, it is great to be with you, and uh, we're recording this in my old office. You <laughs> just know your office. It's great. It is my office, and I really appreciate your leaving so I could... No, no. Yeah. <laughs> leave that just in. kidding, it's just good. kidding. It's good. So, Mike, let's just jump right into it. Uh, you and I have been talking over the last few weeks uh, about this, uh, something that you're really into right now, generational wins. What's that all about, anyway? Well, it's a phrase that um, I use to describe... First, what happened in the homeschooling movement and what I hope to happen in other areas. Uh, 35 years ago, if you uh, were to ask the 50 state attorney generals, is it legal to homeschool in your state? All 50 would have said no. Now, even as a matter of statutory law, not to mention constitutional law, they'd have been wrong in some cases. But uh, that was the prevailing practice. It was illegal to homeschool. If you ask all 50 attorney generals, is it legal to homeschool in your state today, all 50 would say, yeah, that's legal here. Whether they liked it or not, but that would be the answer they gave. That is a dramatic shift in the law from a very bad situation to a very good situation in the space of a generation. Uh, the second meaning of the generational one is that we don't keep on top of that and don't preserve that victory. It'll only last one generation. It's subject to being changed. So uh, a principal reason that I... Uh, felt God was leading me to apply for the job at ADF was I saw the opportunity to deliver generational wins in the area that ADF addresses, which is right to life, religious freedom, freedom of speech, little marriage, family, gender issues, and parental rights. And so in those areas, uh, which are the things that ADF has been working on for its 25 years of existence, I see the great need for a generational win, and because I saw God perform this in the homeschool world, I believe it can be done through his power and his people. So as the, the founder of parentalrights.org and Parental Rights Foundation, can you kind of go through the history of your thinking back at the beginning, where you think we are now, and, and give us a look to the future? Well, uh, parentalrights.org, like a lot of things that I've started, uh, some more successful than others. I just say, since you say I started a lot of things, I started a recycling uh, company in the 70s, well before its time. It was called Use News. We were going to do newspaper recycling. It had a great name. The rest of it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I started parentalrights.org as a response to a need that I saw. And the need was born out of a problem. And the problem is the Supreme Court in the case of United States versus, or no, in, in Troxel versus Granville, get the name correct, um, messed up the parental rights standard by splintering all over the map how they were going to address parental rights. Up until that time, parental rights were a fundamental right, which is the correct legal standard, and they were given the benefit of the very strict 
legal test that applies to parental rights. Governments can't just willy-nilly run over parental rights. They're not absolute, but they are fundamental and of a high level of protection. And because of the uh, splintered Supreme Court decision and the imprecision of the plurality opinion, four judges join in the largest single opinion, uh, lower courts have just gone all over the place since then. And in general, there's exceptions to this, of course. In general, um, state courts have been more on the side of treating parental rights as a fundamental right, and federal courts have been more on the side of treating parental rights as a non-fundamental, low-level right that can be easily run over by the, by the government. And, and the trends are generally in the wrong direction on that, and there's a lot of societal input and um, you know, law professors and the general trend of the legal academic world is in the wrong direction overall. There's some people that are good in that area, pushing in the right way, but the trend is in the wrong direction. And so I believe that if we were going to preserve parental rights as a fundamental right, we needed to move and move on it now rather than wait around for the problem to become totally bad. Um, and so uh, we launched trying to accomplish a, a cure for this from the uh, vantage point of adopting a federal constitutional amendment on parental rights, for which there's wide, at the grassroots level at least, bipartisan support uh, for the concept. Uh, that's not been translated uh, into political support because of the many reasons, but not the least of which is just the starkly divisive attitude that, that prevails in Washington, D.C. today. Ain't much going to happen in that zone to use the colloquial uh, upbringing of my Arkansas background, uh, and so uh, you know it's it's not an easy thing to do to amend the Constitution, but but the goal remains to have firmly established the constitutional level parental rights as a fundamental right. That's the goal. So we uh, carrying on, you know, since you left to go to ADF, um, are continuing to work in Congress and keeping that alive, um, but we're also trying to do good work out in the states that uh, will protect uh, parental rights and, and, and improve the laws that are out there um, now. Uh, what kind of things do you think that we could be doing and that what kind of things does ADF support in, in that realm? Well, um, I fully endorse all the things you're going, doing. As people who are paying attention to the airwaves and the broadcast should have seen my head uh, nodding vigorously when you were saying what you were just saying. <laughs> so that, that, I hope that was picked up by the sound system here. But uh, if not, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I know the things that uh, ProRights.org and HSLDA are doing in this space, and I applaud it. I, I think it's the right thing. Uh, state statutes that announce the parental rights, fundamental rights standard are a good thing to do. Wherever you can get that done, it's a good thing to do. Can state statutes be more easily amended than constitutional uh, provisions? Absolutely correct, but it's, uh, it's a better than just having a judge's opinion, that's for sure. And so it's a good thing to do, and wherever that's possible, I know that uh, uh, you and your team here at Parental Rights have been continuing to push those. Great thing to do. Court cases uh, are, are a thing to do. We both uh, filed amicus briefs uh, just very recently in a Texas Supreme Court case where the contention is let's nail down the fact that parental rights are fundamental and treat them as such by the burdens of evidence and proof that are 
go with that uh, standing. And so um, I think that uh, in addition, what ADF is doing, well, I'm, I'm uh, basically trolling for the uh, a, a good appellate case with what uh, people hang out now with Supreme Court credentials all the time. They call it uh, a clean vehicle, mm -hmm. where the facts are really good. You know, there's not a big dispute about the facts. It's you know starkly uh, clear what the facts are, and the legal dispute is just simply: are parental rights fundamental or non-fundamental? We get that case and, and able to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, we're looking for the right case to to do that, and and I know that uh, you know you and the team here are as well, but. Uh, uh, the parental rights field is underrepresented with legal firepower, and uh, you know so ADF. Although we're, uh, you know, a, a, we're the largest organization of its kind in the world, but our parental rights efforts are just uh, beginning at the uh, national level. Frankly, uh, when I came to ADF, um, it, our international team had been working on parental rights issues for some time, including homeschool issues, in partnership with HSLDA. But the uh, U.S. Uh, ADF team had not been doing much on parental rights, and I asked why, and they said, well, because you guys over at HSLDA had that pretty well under control. And we said, well, thanks for the compliment. I said thanks for the compliment, but we could have used some help from time to time. And so, so the, the ADF board and our team now have fully established parental rights as one of our five main objectives. And so we want to be a partner parentalrights.org and HSLDA and all these efforts. So you keep mentioning this thing called HSLDA. What is up with that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Just in case people don't know. Okay. So, all right. so Mike is the founder of HSLDA and I'm currently vice president of HSLDA and as HSLDA Mike and I worked together for 15 years um, in litigation and other things and uh, it, when, when Mike left to go to ADF um, I sort of took over some of what he left behind, and uh, including the parental rights uh, portfolio. Yeah, and, and HSLDA is uh, the initials for Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Um, I was sitting at a stoplight as a total <laughs> aside about ten years ago, and realized what I should have named it: uh, uh, Home Education Legal Protection. You know, help. That would have been really easy, but you know, is. <laughs> sure. Is a lot harder to say, but um, HSLDA has been around for uh, thirty-eight years. Thirty-four. Thirty-four years. Yeah. Okay, time flies when you're having kids, and my math's not that good. Um, thirty-six. Thirty-six years. Okay. Sorry, right. my so, brain is uh, nodding yeah. at me. If no, you, it's thirty-six. If, if, if you took our two guesses and averaged them, we were, <laughs> we, were we were only a half a year off. We're both yeah. over fifty. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. Um, so, in any event, um, HSLDA has been around since 1983. That part I can tell you for sure. Uh, I know what year it was founded, I just don't know what year it is right now. Uh, and so, um, HSLDA um, has been um, just a stalwart defender of the homeschool movement and has been used by God uh, in, in partnership mainly with state organizations and uh, some local support groups as well to be the, uh, the movement that won the freedom for homeschooling, the recognition for the freedom for homeschooling to be recognized. That freedom is God-given, first of all, and it's recognized in our Constitution, second of all, and other people did those two things. Uh, 
but we were involved in winning the recognition of, of those fundamental freedoms. And so um, it's a great example to a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, encouraging uh, trends uh, because HSLDA battled against the most powerful political force in every state government, and that is the teachers union. At the state legislative level, there's nobody more powerful than the teachers union. And yet, state after state after state, a small, dedicated band, blessed by God, was able to overcome them over about a 25-year period. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't overnight, wasn't easy, wasn't without a whole lot of trouble. Um, and a um, lot, of, lot of work and a lot of prayers and a lot of effort and not perfect success on every occasion, but a trend of success that was unparalleled in any other endeavor, really, in modern political history. So it's, it's the biggest success story in the conservative world, period. So I was at a conference um, last week in Scottsdale, the American Legislative Exchange Council, and I did a presentation there. And I d described how, as homeschoolers, in the early days especially, I mean, homeschooling depends on the right of parents to direct the education of their children, as well as other things. But ho the homeschooling movement was kind of, um, you know, we discovered the way parental rights have been eroding in ways that maybe would be surprising to some of our listeners. And out of that discovery and the battles for homeschooling freedom, they were also battles for parental freedoms. And so, I mean, I was there when, when you uh, birthed this idea. How much of, um, you know, did that motivate you, the things you learned as a, as a homeschool advocate, to work on behalf of all parents? Well, it's the clear reason I did that is the, the experience in homeschooling. I saw, I saw two problems, uh, you know, in, in that zone because there were two fundamental freedoms that we relied on, parental rights and religious freedom. And when the Supreme Court messed up religious freedom in the Employment Division versus Smith case in 1990, I was, on behalf of HSLDA, one of the members of the executive committee that pushed through the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that at the time, at both the state and federal level, um, reinstated the fundamental rights standard for the free exercise of religion. Now the Supreme Court messed it up again and took away the state level part of that, but we then uh, were instrumental in helping to pass RFRAs at several state uh, legislative levels. And so, so, the, so HSLDA engaged in the battle for religious freedom and also engaged in the battle for parental rights because those two freedoms and those, those freedoms have applications far outside the homeschooling world, and they're for everybody. They're not just for Christian parents. You know, the, the parental rights side of the argument is all parents, not just religious parents, not just Christian parents, not just Baptist parents, not just Baptist parents who like the Washington Capitals, which would be me, um, but, but uh, it's all parents. And, and so those freedoms, those principles are... Are, uh, are really important to preserve and it, it crosses lines beyond just the strict educational choice component of it. It's making medical decisions, it's making really any kind of upbringing decisions for, for your child. Um, and so uh, the basic rule should be until there's proof that the parent has harmed the child through abuse, neglect, abandonment, some other form of harm, Without proof of harm, parents get to decide, and the government 
is procedurally and substantively prohibited from coming in and making decisions for their parents instead until there's proper judicial proof of, of the harm. So you mentioned that um, in the early days of homeschooling, combating the teachers' unions, one aspect of the Parental Rights Amendment that's uh, currently before Congress and one of the things that we're working on is helping parents um, who, whose children are in public school have more control over what goes on there. I know that you, uh, now with ADF, you're, you're dealing with a lot of that kind of thing. Tell, tell us about that. Well, um, I also dealt with that prior to the invention of ADF when I, I, I worked for Concerned Women for America for six years, and we did a lot of cases in that zone, including some very, very high-profile cases. And um, the, the, there are many problems uh, with the rights of parents in the public school context. In the social services area, something we worked on a lot here at HSLDA, the parental rights uh, side of things, is the uh, um, social workers can just go interview kids in the public school willy-nilly without, any, without telling the parents, without notifying, without permission, without a court order, anything. And, and you can't do that if your kids are anyplace else. And so it's like a constitution-free zone, which is an anomaly. Uh, especially because you know the old saying of the Supreme Court, nonetheless, is is that you don't shed your constitutional rights at the schoolhouse door. Well, that should be true for parents as well. But um, that's a problem. Uh, the ability of parents to make uh, good decisions for their kids. I mean, the, what's going on right now in the LGBT indoctrination zone, without parental knowledge, without parental consent. We have filed a, a case. Uh, ADF has. Uh, against a, a school district in the Midwest um, where the school district explicitly forbids the teachers from telling parents that they're treating their child as a transgender child. That, that the, you know, the, the teachers are all to call little boys by little girl pronouns and names and so on and not tell the parents this is going on. Um, which is you know just one uh, of the many ways that this whole agenda is being uh, advanced in a way that just defies biology, it defies common sense, and it certainly defies parental rights. And so we're happy to engage in that case. It's a, kind of a, one of our first in that really specific zone. You mentioned uh, Child Protective Services. Um, again, at this conference, I, I explained that before homeschooling was invented, uh, child Protective Services workers would always start going by going to the child's school uh, to interview the child without the parent's knowledge or consent. But homeschoolers kind of threw a monkey wrench into that because when the child's at school, the child's at home and there's always parents around. And so that's kind of how we got into some of the early cases, the Calabretta case in California and others. Um, what's your take on needed reforms in the Child Protective Services world that we can be working on today uh, short of an amendment? Well, uh, you know, the, the overarching goal is to get Child Protective Services people to obey the Constitution um, because you can't go into somebody's house without either a warrant or a freely obtained consent to enter or probable cause that there's a crime plus an emergency. Um, and so without those three things, one of those three things, they can't come in. Um, and, and yet they, social workers just don't think that applies to them. 
despite all the efforts that uh, we have made and despite all the lawsuits that we have won against them, we, we have never lost that principle in a, in a court case. Now, we've lost some factual battles, but that principle has never been turned uh, against uh, one of the cases that I'm still using the collective we for HSLDA and parental rights, but uh, um, and, and that's a very important thing. I, I think that uh, um, there's some things in the federal legislation that gives financial incentives to state uh, social service agencies to uh, pump up the number of investigations. And I think that they just use some basic common sense of uh, triage that uh, uh, we actually have a case uh, that's you were in the investigation stage at, at ADF, so I'll be a little oblique about it. Um, I hope this isn't your case and you told me about it. If it is, we'll have to edit it. Can we stop this for just a second? Oh, um, I can edit you it can out. Edit. Okay. <laughs> um, is it your case that has the judge? It is my case, but I can't talk about it yet. Okay. All right. So never mind. I, so, I, he's okay. he's well, checking with his ethics people. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I couldn't remember. Uh, I knew that somebody's investigating. And I it's me. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So synthesize back yep. to this. Yep. Hey, you know, I, I have, I have um, from the, one of the first cases I did in, in Alabama, I argued that um, based on the, their practices, that somebody who was mad at a government official could just call up the hotline and make up bold lies and, and, and even say it in a way that nobody would make any sense of. Like, you know, I heard from Matilda down at the beauty parlor that the mayor has got his kid locked in a cage. You know, that, that's nonsense at every level. Um, but based on their current practices, they're going to investigate that. And so all it takes is somebody with a retaliatory motive to make up the most scurrilous cases, and they're going to come into the people's house, they're going to strip search their kids, and they're not going to have probable cause of anything. And that whole system stinks. Um, and it stinks at lots of levels. Uh, homeschoolers have felt the brunt of that because the homeschoolers are an educational minority. But the people that feel the brunt of that more than anybody else day in and day out are racial minorities, particularly African Americans, because the system just is frankly prejudiced. They just think, you know, there's something basically wrong with you guys and we're gonna come investigate you. And, and so um, it, it's unwarranted, unjustified, and, and uh, what, no matter what their motives are, it's actually racist in result and uh, needs to be cleaned up. So just speaking hypothetically, let's suppose you had a state that was politically um, able to adopt a state constitutional amendment. What would you think of that? Well, um, since every state constitution requires a vote of the people to finally adopt it, I'm not in favor of it right now. Because um, unless somebody's going to walk in and say, and here's $10 million to run a good campaign with. Because if you don't have the $10 million or $20 million or something like that to run a really good campaign with, what the other side will do is they'll come in and run, the, they'll, they'll take national money and come to this one state 
and they will try to convince everybody that a vote for parental rights is a vote for child abuse, which is legal and political nonsense, but it's good rhetoric in that kind of an environment, and it sells. And nobody wants to protect child abuse, and so they'll vote against parental rights. And this isn't just hypothetical. This is what happened in Colorado 20-something years ago. And, and so there were high levels of polling support for parental rights. They should have won, but the political left, teachers union and their allies, didn't want parents to be able to say what's going on in the sex education classes in the school. But they didn't want to argue that because that's not popular. So instead they said, this is opening up child abuse. And so given the resource disparity, then I'm not in favor of that methodology. I think in the state constitutional amendment, is better than a state statute in the abstract, but um, the you can get a state statute through together based on the truth easier than a $10 million lie campaign that would be run at the state level. Well, Michael, do you have any questions for Michael? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so you guys talked a good deal about HSLDA because you know, you're both HSLDA and parental rights. But back when you founded ParentalRights.org and then Parental Rights Foundation spun off of that, um, you decided not to make it a department of HSLD but a separate group. Why, what was the thinking behind that? Well, we wanted to appeal, appeal to all parents. Um, uh, and it's not just for homeschool parents. They're a, parent, they're a group of parents that have seen the need to pr protect parental rights, but they're mm -hmm. not the only ones. And there are two kinds of people politically, and there are people who just look at the situation, analyze it, and are kind of early adopters. They, they, they engage because of um, what they see as potential. And then there are other people who engage because they've been hurt. Um, and so um, there are people outside the homeschool community that fit in both those categories. People have been hurt and people who see potential. Um, you know, I wish that 90% of the public would see potential and would act, but it's more like 10%. Um, and, and, but there's a lot of people have been hurt, and so we want all parents to stand up for parental rights. It's as simple as that. Ready to wrap up? So, Mike, we want to thank you for joining us uh, today for this premiere episode of Parental Rights Foundation's podcast. To our listeners, I want to add to check back each Tuesday for new episodes right here. Next week, we'll feature... Our parental Rights Florida State Coordinator Patty Sullivan and a look at how some of our policy efforts are gaining ground in the states. Be sure to visit us online at parentalrightsfoundation.org. Sign up for our weekly emails and consider investing a tax-deductible donation in the important work of protecting families by educating courts, policymakers, and the American public on this vital topic of parental rights. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Michael Ramey with Jim Mason, and this has been Parental Rights Foundation's podcast. Great. Cool. Thanks for doing it.